Hello and welcome to Subplot of Course. Today we are going to talk about our latest book that we read. We'll follow up to A Princess of Mars, The Gods of Mars. So, but before we get to that, let me introduce my fellow hosts. So first we have epidemiologist and part-time fisherman. Say hello, Vincent. No, I'm really Stavros, but hey, I'll say hi. Hi anyways. Nice. Aerospace engineer and Star Wars appreciator, John. That's, is it my, my turn? Do I, do I go? Say hi. <laughs> oh, hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. There oh. you go. I didn't realize that if I didn't prompt you, you wouldn't know what to do. Continuing. I don't do what, it, what I'm like a monkey. I do what I'm told. You know? <laughs> let's, let's Type me a novel, the, monkey. Let's add that to the job description next episode. And oh. English teacher and home arcade enthusiast, say hello, Adrian. I lay my sword before you. Nice. Oh, loyalty extreme. Nice. I appreciate it. I mean, why, why I hope. I'm going to slap in the face. Wow. <laughs> wow. And that, that's an A plus a... for friendship and an A <laughs> and an F minus for uh, the podcast. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. And I am a math teacher and sad nostalgia gamer, Charlie. I am hosting today's episode because I decided to voice this novel on you all. But uh, before we get started talking about it, let me give you a nice little summary. So just like the last book, we start with a nice little prologue from his nephew or, you know, some relative talking about him saying it's weird. He came back from the dead to chat with him about Mars and then it gets right into the book. So apparently John Carter was just hanging out being wistful about Mars. It's been 10 years since he came back. But then he feels feels the feeling and he gets shot at back to mars in the same mysterious way he did in the first book except when he gets there he doesn't recognize anything he's in this weird alien forest that has plant people later we discover that it exists in the southern polar ice cap so that's how you could have a forest and clouds and weather and stuff like that on mars but before long he discovers a bunch of the green men from last book being attacked, and among them happens to be Tars Tarkas. And he helps out Tars Tarkas, and they escape the plant people and some white apes that have joined to come kill them all by escaping into some cliffs. But it turns out in the cliffs is the entrance to the Temple of Therns, where they're going to be sacrificed as cannibalistic offers to the people who live in the Temple of Therns. But they managed to escape. <laughs> they're just dinner. <laughs> yeah, they're just, just dinner. It and it turns out in the last book, they briefly mentioned that you don't actually die. Instead, you like go on a pilgrimage to the Southern Pole. And it turns out this religion is crap, and it's just sending people as food to these therns. But the therns are pretty confident and have their own similar thing where they go to the Temple of Isis when they die. But we'll get to we'll get to, we'll get to that. So. However, on their escape, they meet a woman from the outer world, like, you know, where all the red people are from the previous book. They meet a princess named Thuvia. And as they escaped during the night, they are attacked by a bunch of airships piloted by the Firstborn. Or who they discover is the Firstborn. They're called the Black Pirates by the Therns and by the other peoples of Mars. But John Carter manages to make it that Thuvia and Tarstarkis manage to escape, and he boards another firstborn ship where he manages to take the ship from most of the crew, but he spares the one 
black pirate that has left Zodar. And he also saves a Thern woman, Fidor, who is daughter of the head priest and totally into him. Also, Thuvia was totally into him. Because everyone is totally into him in this book. Yeah. For some Zodar reason. had the hots for him, too, I can yes. tell. Oh, yeah. But they are overtaken by another ship of the Black Pirates and captured, and they're taken into the Temple Vices, which actually has a giant hole that leads down into the surface of Mars, where there's a big underground city and even a sea, the Amian Sea. And they are brought before Isis, the god that the Therns worship. And it turns out she's just a horrible old hag, but all the Black Pirates totally believe she's really a god. And anyone who's allowed to look on her only gets to live a year before they are slaughtered by white apes. And so John Carter is doomed to spend a year in prison and do battles in the arena. And Zodar, for having lost the battle, because Black Pirates only die in battle, they're never taken captured, is forced to be his servant. Which is real sad until John Carter, being the manly man that he is, convinces Zodar that, you know what, maybe this whole, like, Isis's god thing isn't cool, and that you should escape with me. So they're fine with that. And when they're in jail, they happen to meet a palish youth who, when John Carter meets him again on the way to the arena, he discovers also has, like, pretty cool, like, being kind of strong, kind of like John Carter powers. And anytime the youth decides to reveal who his father is, he is conveniently cut off at the last moment. <laughs> Dad! Mm. It's me! Four, four times that happens. Four yep, times. it's... it's So... But yeah, but who's so your daddy? The, who's your daddy? Let him go through the, the summary. It's gonna be a long summary. It's <laughs> a long story. So, so they go, uh, they go to the arena. John Carter gets all upset because they're gonna sacrifice like this year's, uh, you know, servants to the apes. John Carter and you know his maybe not son that you don't know yet, but it's totally his son you know, fight them off, but every, like, and the slaves rebel, but everyone is slaughtered, Isis, Isis escapes, and John Carter and his son escape, and they go back to jail, they get Zodar, they escape from Omnia, from the Omnian Sea, and that's when John Carter discovers that this young youth who looks kind of like him and is paler than most of the people he knows is actually Carthoris, his son! And they land in an abandoned city where they happen to run across Thuvia, who's hanging out because Tarstarkis has been taken by another clan of Dring men. Uh, green men. And John Carter goes on a little mission to save him. And he does! And then, as they're escaping from this clan of pursuers, the Helium fleet shows up and saves them all. Yay! And they're brought back to Helium. Red but it turns in. out, just days before that, Zat Aris, the jerk from the last book who Bad tried red to man. dethrone uh, Dejathoris' lineage has, you know, convinced Dejathoris to go, you know, essentially go off to do her little thing at the South Pole where you sacrifice yourself because she was so upset that John Carter's been gone for 10 years and now her son's been gone for about a year. But John Carter comes up with an amazing plan. They're going to, like, go send all their fleets, go kill Isis, get back his princess, but John Carter is kidnapped and put in jail. He's eventually saved by his son. And he ends up with the fleet. They had this nice big battle where they fight the Therns. But then the Zazongans under Zataris show up to flank them and all is lost. But then the Forceborn come to attack. But the Therns are freaked out because the Firstborn eat the Therns just like the Therns eat everyone else. And so the Therns and the Firstborn just fight. And John Carter defeats the Zazongans. He flies his feet. 
into Omnia and there's not many people there because like who would be awesome enough to take on the firstborn home base and they sneak into the temple of Isis where there's a bunch of traps and John Carter manages to bravely send his soldiers away safely but he has to escape through many trials of his own and he goes through a room and he happens to run across his wife Dejah Thoris and that is the end of the second to last chapter because today we are going to play a game where only I have read the last chapter, and everyone else is going to have to make up their own ending before I tell them what happens at the end of the episode. So thanks for listening, everyone. We're out of time. Remember to <laughs> like, comment, subscribe, and uh, we'll catch you next time. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Um, Carthoris? Dumb name. Just going to put it out there. <laughs> two, two last names, John Carr. Why would you choose to name your kid because you were two last names? Yeah, because they... Yeah, they combine... Isn't that what the first name is for? It's like John Carter Jr.? Like, I mean... I, I can't say that Junior is any like better, but uh, sorry, Jose. You know, sorry, friends of ours who are named uh, Junior. Mm-hmm. All right. That's what Deha Thoris wanted to name her son, right? It was after John Carter, but no, yeah. they had to go with John Carter's chosen name, which is a combination of the two last names. So, well, I mean, nowadays they do hyphenated last names, so uh, I guess she didn't want to lose all, all her influence on her child. I mean, who knows? So is he Carthoris Thoris? Is that his name? Is his last name? Or is he Carthoris Carter? Or, you know what? We are way off track now. So, the one thing is, we read the first book, Princess of Mars, in our first season of the show a long time ago, before, before Adrian was on the show. So he, some for some reason, decided to volunteer and read both books. So I figured, just give us a short little take on the first book, considering you just read it, Adrian. It's fine. Like I think it's definitely in the vein of like the boys' literature of the age. It feels very like Gulliver's Travels in a kind of you know anthropological study, right? It's pretty obvious that the the green men are kind of Native Americans and the red men are kind of Europeans, I suppose, right? Um, and so it sort of partakes of that that tradition from you know a while back of the travel narrative, right? Um, with the exception, of course, of John Carter being like super strong as opposed to Gulliver, who's like always weak and dumb um, in everywhere he goes. Um, which which kind of made the second book start off in an interesting way because like it was it was, it began with all this like monstrosity right so like instead of exploring different peoples like gave the world a chance to like, truly alien uh, but then of course it moves very quickly away from that into something way 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 worse, <laughs> way worse. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment yeah. there it, by worse he means something non-judgmental thing, like a vengeance and like by a vengeance I mean in a horrific way yeah. Oh, we'll get there. I left out some key details in my description that we'll get to. So, so, so let's, you know, the first book actually had some, like, cool science ideas of, like, he's on Mars, so he's super strong because he's used to Earth's gravity, and he has to, but he also, like, can't walk real well because he's too strong for Mars gravity and stuff like that. But, uh, this book, uh, did anyone? There's some, like, reasonably cool things they did with like the fact that he's on mars but did anyone pick up any like neat science stuff to talk about was there really anything new i mean I, you'd have to put yourself back there i don't know if i'd say it was new they, they, they i was pleasantly i guess i was pleasantly he spends most of the book just covered in, in like the blood of his enemies so it's really tough to, to <laughs> To, to, to you, you, when you find a nugget of something techie, you're like, oh, here, this is. Let me just get the. Get I the mean, techie for 1913. We got to put on our 1913 bowler hats and think, <laughs> what did not exist in 1913 that exists in this book? Um, <laughs> which is quite a lot. 
I mean, the underground seas and everything like that is kind of fantasy-ish. I won't say it's sci-fi, but it but it is very fantasy-ish. A, a lot of focus on the the plane battles. It it felt like he just took modern like 1913 naval warfare and just turned those descriptions into airship battles. It's like broadsides of all unloading all the guns and the boarding <laughs> boarding actions and stuff like that. I mean, it definitely you know, brain sizes, if that makes you feel any better in terms of science, but again, in a terrible way. So, that's the term I'm looking for. If you bring up phrenology, that's the new, new science term for, <laughs> for this book, right? Uh, I thought he with the plant man, or is yeah, there some other. With the plant man, but it's, it's an uncomfortable reference given everything else that's happening around. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I, just, I just took that as like the plant men are basically animals. Right. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people being called animals in this book. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's lots of people calling other people animals in this book very specifically. But yeah, the plant man description, I just think Every, it's like everyone is food in this book, and it's just a great circle of life. Is is what I got from it. You got very conveniently colored people. It's the black people, the red people, the green people, and then the plant people for vegetarians. In case you, you like the, only the vegetables people and the yellow people. No, oh, yeah, the thorns are the white people. Yeah, yeah. Let's just well, hold on. Let's... I, have these, I have something. I have something. I have something. There is okay, a, okay. a brief. There's a brief mention. It's a minor part of the book, but there's a brief mention that that the the the, the, the communication between the thorns and Isis is is like via some like wireless communications that cannot be deciphered, like. There's a there's a brief description of like encryption essentially encrypted. Oh yeah, space. there's that weird thing where they're all handing each other notes and talking to each other across airships because they're like, yeah, eventually wireless communication codes. Yeah, yeah, code cracking gets so good that doing any form of what like emitted communication is useless because you will immediately get found out. Oh, yeah, because they can read your mind if you're willing to have them read your mind. That's right. That was always like a Martian tech. Oh, yeah. They didn't do that much of that in this book. That was much more in the first book, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The mind reading. Yeah, yeah. And Isis, of course, is Egyptian, right? We we we, we agree we'll, on that. We'll, we'll get that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go. But uh yeah, it's like even when they have this cool like new race that lives underground and stuff like that, and their thing is they steal technology from other people's because they're too good for work, because they only live to fight and be pampered. Well it's the like, black people live under underground, like the first people. That's, right? yeah, that's what I was that's what I was yeah. saying, yeah. But the, but yeah, I like, mean the, the therns are also like pampered and they, they fit that oh, description yeah. too. It's like it's like the red people are the working class, and then you got the white people feeding off of them, you got the black people feeding off of them. And uh it's like the social hierarchy just keeps going up. Yep, yep. Like he even ponders because like in the first book they do talk about how the red people are red because there used to be like all these different races, but they've interbred so thoroughly. So he does have this pondering thing where he's like, well, I found the black people and I found the white people. Are there still yellow people? And it's just like an aside. I'm like, well, okay. All right. Color is what matters. So, though, though he does a good job of uh, breaking those color boundaries, like all his best friends. It's like a, one represent from every race. He's like Pokemon. He's got to catch them all. Yep, yep. Uh, lots, lots of servants for for John Carter. <laughs> all yeah. servants, oh, friends. Are, are you saying that his red wife is a servant as well? Oh, slavery plays a large part of this book. Yes, yes. Well, in this book, actually, it's much more eating. I'm very surprised that that it is a lot of slavery, but surprisingly, they also like to eat the slaves, which is kind of odd, given that I don't think that it was a thing back yeah. in the 1900s to eat your slaves. 
They were Maybe through. I know where, where Burroughs is coming from. Like, he has that line. Like, As a Southerner, you'd be surprised that I found, like, the black, the black people be, attractive. Like, really attractive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that was a grotesque line I was about to mention. I was like, I was recoiling when I read that. I was like, oh, my oh, God. Yeah. Like, you know, his, his, his Confederate past does not come up terribly often, which it also feels really strange for the series, by the way. Um, but that, 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 like, as a Confederate soldier, right, that feels like a fairly important distinction to make in 1913, but whatever. Um, and then, of course, to bring a whole book about race and religion, sure, very strange. I feel like he was consciously trying to reject his past by saying the black people were much more advanced than the white people. And like they they robbed the white people and the white people were like scared to death of the black. Actually, maybe that wasn't so much of a of a, of, a, of, of him trying to reject his past. Maybe it was just his reality. He actually was really afraid. Uh, now we're reading into it. I'm sure that you know what? This is a thing that I'm certain there are lots of lots of essays about if you wanted to get into it. I did not read any. I just read the book and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, for me, I, the, the, color was, the colors were all just interchangeable. Red, yeah. white, black, blue. I could have changed even, them all. And Even the them. white people were like crazy shut-ins who had evolved to the point where they lost the ability to have hair. So they wore golden wigs to like relive the, the golden days, per se. Ha ha ha. Da 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 Anyway. So hey, the, the, like the one Mars people? Yeah, they're all just bald for some reason. Yeah. Ew, does that mean like that girl who was trying to hit on him was bald that whole time? She just wear her wig? Yeah. That she is- just looked like a attractive uh Patrick Stewart. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just Anyways. think of them all as Patrick Stewart for some reason. They're all Patrick Stewart. All yeah. Though, like the the one sciencey thing I had to bring up was if they're at the South Pole, like should they really have had like days like you normally do? Yeah, that was like one of the commentaries, which is that like there's supposed to be sunrises and sunsets, and like you know you're supposed to be able to see the moons, and they're like astronomically from the South Pole, you can't see any of that apparently. None of that happens. It's funny because he like kind of missed out on that planetary science type stuff. But I, on the other hand, at one point when he's in jail, he counts he's been in jail for like 350 something days. And he's like, OK, Deja Thoris is going to get eaten once this time has run up, once it's been a year and he comes out and it's been like 360 days. He's like, well, I guess it's already over. But then he remembers like the Martian years way longer and he has hope again and they have plenty of time. Dude, like, Don Carter like, spends at least two years in jail in this in this in this book, which is part of the reason why they probably didn't make a second movie. Because there's a huh? lot of fucking jail time in this in this book. <laughs> he spends He spends a year. He spends a year in Thurn jail and he spends a year in Redman jail. And before he finally gets a fight, he's like he, he's fully aged two years before the end of this book. This like, is so long. I, I haven't seen that movie, but were they planning on turning that into a series? Like how do you anyways? Yes. Definitely. They wanted to make a second movie, but How the first you, movie like, didn't I make any like money. I feel like they must skip this book or like make very broad changes or something. No, they were like going to make a movie off of this book, if, yeah. uh, assuming there was enough money. But, Just uh, think, of how, think of how good and long that montage would have been of prison time for one year. Or, or <laughs> actually more than that. You spent a lot of time in prison. That would be mm-hmm. pretty great. That would have been a great montage. A lot of like... <laughs> Training and like Rocky, just hitting yeah. him hitting sides of beef, getting stronger. Yeah, but like thirty minutes of it, you know, because it's <laughs> a year long, so. he he spends like a week in the entire first half of the book, maybe, 
And then it's like, and now he's in jail for a year. And you're like, okay. Two years. The Therns kept him for a whole year, too. It was like, oh, my God. And it, 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 was, it, was, it was crazy. That was but, the only time he was in. He was in jail. He was jailed for more than that, like on the island. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It was, it was all right. Uh, he, he was doing a tour. He could do a Yelp review of all the jails of Mars. The yeah. next book should be called Jails of Mars. Disney. Yeah, be listening. <laughs> they didn't even buy the option for the Gods of Mars. So who are we kidding? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, also to just talk about the plot of the book, this, uh, this book uses lots of just random plot conveniences of running into people just that, at the right time. That's the, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. No matter where you go on Mars, you'll run into a friend. Like when he gets, first gets teleported, hey, my best friend, Tars Tarkas, hey, there you are, who would have thought? One degree of freedom. Everywhere he goes, just his best friends, yeah. every single place. Oh, my son showed up? Oh, convenient. <laughs> Like they, they literally escape from the South Pole in a random direction and land like feet away from Thuvia, who escaped like a week ago. Well, think about that. If they had gone a different direction, he would have just run into his wife and then the book would have been over. So, I mean, <laughs> count us lucky we got to read at least a few more pages. True. Very true. I think it's important to like keep in mind this was a serialized novel, right? So it was released in chapters like on a monthly or however many basis, right? And so yeah. obviously like as a novel, those things feel like super convenient. And I'm sure they felt at the time. But if you imagine you're only able to read this book like a chapter at a time, you need to bind the book together somehow, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that it would probably feel a little bit less um, convenient if you were reading because like you'd be, you'd be really happy that, oh, the character you've been waiting for has come up because it's been so long since you've seen them. Right, yeah, you can true. imagine like it's the first book, like how long since it's like Sola popped up, for example, right? Um, yeah, so that I think that helps a little bit, but definitely hurts like in respect, right? The readers, the readers have been in jail for two years in, yeah. in between chapters, yeah. but he got I, paid what seven hundred fifty seven hundred fifty dollars in nineteen thirteen bucks. Which John, how much? How much is that in modern day cash? I think we decided it was it was just over twenty grand. Not bad, not bad. He uh, he's living large in nineteen thirteen. Oh, I don't know. That doesn't sound like a lot of money. I, <laughs> maybe for, I, not, I don't know. 20 years later, the Great Depression would hit. So, like, I don't know. If he kept it in cash underneath his uh, mattress, he could he could be eating grapes. Angry grapes. The grapes of wrath, some might say. Next book. Sci-fi grapes of wrath. If he's lucky, he'll be drafted into the war. That's really oh, <laughs> If he's lucky. Oh. Sadness. Yeah, John Carter three is he just gets the Spanish flu. So, oh my that, god, that was pretty rough. COVID. <laughs> he, 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 some might say he's a Nostradamus. He, he predicted COVID. Oh, so what he... later, a century later. All right. Anyways, I was about to like write my own book where he brings it back to Mars with him and causes a pandemic, but then it got a little too <laughs> real. So. Oh, Fan fiction. Let's read it. Anyways, so should, should we talk about the race thing more explicitly here? Like, is yeah, it... yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it. it's. Wait, let's let's talk because we're gonna get there. But like, this is also weirdly tied into like this theme of religious deception. So in the first book, there's this thing where it's just like casually mentioned that like things don't die naturally on Mars. Like that's not the way they evolved. And like I've, I've actually heard in some like biology lectures and stuff like that that like aged death, like dying of old age, is actually like a feature, yeah. not a fault of evolution, because it lets you like replace your population and you're not just stuck with a bunch of like the old previous generation with their old genes and combinations. 
So, but on Mars, they don't have this. Instead, they go on like a pilgrimage to the South Pole where they disappear. And what we learn in this book is that there's this race of white, bold people in the temple that propagates this religion that then has you get jumped by the plant people and the white apes, and then they just eat you or carry you off to be their slaves. But then they have their own religion where they go to the temple of Isis to end their lives. But it turns out that the firstborn, who are a bunch of, like, ebony, so, like, straight black, 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 beautiful people, as John Carter describes, capture the white thern people and do the same thing, except they have their god Isis there, who is in charge of everything, and they believe has, like, legitimate crazy god powers. It's just no one's willing to confront her because they would just be instantly smote? Smitten? Smote? Smited? Whatever. Smited. Cursed. It's so interesting because it's like the old red people are going to go be the slaves of the white people. It's like, that's like the last population you want to be as slaves. Like the old geriatric population is like, fetch me my slippers. It's too heavy, sir. Like, I have scoliosis. It's like, oh man. They eat most of them, it sounds like. Yeah. I get old, tough birds are the best meat. How did how did Thuvia end up there? Exactly. For Gosh. what's interesting is that all the slaves that the white people have somehow are young and beautiful, and they're not old and decrepit. <laughs> I forget what did she does say. She for some reason like she went down. She went on her pilgrimage. I forget why. I don't remember why. So it must not have been terribly important. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And they have like this cool forest and they actually have like weather because it's the South Pole, which is like a neat, you know, I mean, just like all of the John Carter series, like not really science, but like a cool idea if you're someone who knows that there are planets and space and someone told you there's canals on Mars. Like this seems like a nice extra extrapolation of an idea. But to mix it with all this like hidden religion cannibalism stuff is really bizarre. I have two systemic questions here. Number one, like, I couldn't quite understand the whole, like, eating hierarchy thing. Like, why they needed the plant men to, like, suck out the blood from the people. Um, so that's one question. And the second question was a little bit more abstract. Like, how did this whole system come about? Like, because in, in, in theory, it seems right, that all of these races evolve at the same time. So what were, like, the, the Black Pirates just, like, ease, like manipulating the, the Thurians forever yeah, yeah. to go and set this up? Like, to go and create the churches all around Mars, where the Thurians just doing it on their own? The Black Pirates like, cool, we can do use this to go and, like, steal from stuff. Or do the Black Pirates not really care about the outside world because they just keep on stealing from the Thurians in terms of all of the, yeah. the guns and ammo that they, that they need? They it's a giant say Ponzi that- scheme. They say that they have, like, a passageway to the altar of Isis where they leave, like, divine messages. So, like, they are directly informing, like, telling the Therns what to do and giving them their religion. So, I I I understand that. I'm just trying to figure out, like, did the Black Pirates tell the Thurians, like, go and populate themselves throughout the world so they can go and manipulate the Red Martians? um, Or... Does it just like happening and the doctor's like, cool, all right, we're just gonna exploit that system as it is? Yeah. Like, how does the hierarchy itself emerge naturally? Because, yeah, again, no, no one seems to know, right? Like, I, the Thurians have no idea after millennia of dealing with the Black Pirates that this is happening to them. Because even, even Isis is manipulating the Black people, where she's yes. been like, because again, they're all technically immortal, but they essentially all the, the, black, the black Pirates either die in battle 
or the women are just eventually sacrificed because getting old is lame. So, like, Isis is apparently, like, I, is, you are you asking, like, how did she manage to set all of this up in the start? Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know what? Like, I, because, I like, feel if, like, if you want to talk about, like, it's a religious critique, right? Like, religions oh, yeah. are systems, and sure, they emerge organically, right? That's totally fair. But there usually is some kind of, like, guiding hand which goes and sets up the hierarchies, right, by which the power is distributed. Um, that seems to be one of the critiques here, right? That the power here is being wielded unfairly and that's a problem for, for, for Burroughs and he wants to kind of address the, the problems of a religion that has too much control over the people. But everything here seems to come out like so organically that like this stuff bothers me way more than, you know, like running into your son in the middle of a dungeon, right? Just out of sheer... Oh, way. yeah, yeah. Uh, there's I, way more problems with that. Anyway, Vincent. I mean, I guess I guess I... I... I see some of that like obscurity, the kind of black, the black curtain that you never see behind, like the Wizard of Oz kind of thing. I think it happens in a lot of religious churches in general. It's like who chooses the Pope, who chooses all, like you know, the cardinals, who chooses like you know the major leaders of major religions. The common person is not voting for the Pope. We're, oh, we, sure. I mean, we, nobody chooses who the Pope is. The Pope somehow could they go? You know, the the cardinals go in a cloister and God in, in, inspires them, and the Pope is chosen. Like, there's a lot of like interesting parallels i guess to religion where like the common red man if, if i would call us the red man like we don't know how how like isis gets chosen um it, it's it's interesting that but i mean their situation is different in that like if you're not of the right class you get eaten by the class above you and isis being the top consumer of all of them essentially like i don't know how that happens in in a world but at the same time we've also had presidents and other leaders who we don't necessarily like know how they got where they got to got to be. We might argue that there were much more complicated political and economic kind of background uh, arguments going on. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, as as implausible as it seems, other implausible things have happened in this world, which I can't. I still can't explain. Problem with that sense that like, oh, the people, the red marshes don't know what's going on. That's very. This is all very like time machine, right? But. The time machine, there is a pretty clear logic of like why it is that like the power is equated with like eating people, essentially, right? Because the people, the Morlocks, they have nothing underground, so they go and they and, and they they take of the Eloy and they eat them. That makes perfect sense to me. It's like a, a nice simple system. This system is like there are so many levels of ornate obfuscation <laughs> here, right? And unlike the Pope, right, which is a, an intentional obfuscation, right? Like it's just incredibly, it's like incredibly hard to imagine how this system ever came about because it's extremely old, right? Um, and just yeah, is is so needlessly complex. Like, why don't the Black Pirates just go out and raid the Red Martians and take whatever they want to? Like, why keep the Thurians around at all? I, I, it sounds like they they do because they also have like you know red princess slaves and whatnot, and they've got Dejathors. Just yeah, it's. I guess it's a system. It's like you know uh, why why would you go and uh, and uh, and like you know tax the honeybees when you can have like the the beekeeper send you honey at Whole Foods? You know, kind of deal. It's like ah, screw screw going to the hives directly. Like I'll have my middleman take care of it. You know. Uh, that, that's what it kind of struck me as in terms of the the black man, white man, uh, red man hierarchy, and I mean, arguably the, the red man, green man hierarchy. I guess red man, green man co combined. I think the only reason that we get is that like the black parts like 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 fucking with the Thurians, right? There's like you know that they they're just like fun to fight, and uh, so like we just keep them around to keep on fighting this like oh, yeah, million yeah. man army around. But by, by the way, 
stupid that they're like around the whole the, around the land when the pirates are from inside the land. These Thurians are are absolutely terrible when it comes to like strategic decision making. But whatever, fine. Oh, yeah, so. I'm confused about this. Are the Green Men also? Are they also following this religion? Yeah, they are. Oh they yeah, are, so they, but, but they get rejected immediately. <laughs> yeah, that that's the hilarious thing where they the agreement aren't even worth eating or taking as slaves, like to the point of where when they capture Sola, they just push her off an airship. It's like, really? <laughs> would you eat green eggs and ham? No, I would not. No, I would not. Not Sam. I am. <laughs> it might be, it might be a little wrong because they're the, they're the only ones like it's, it's my understanding. Like they call everyone human. Even the green, green men are called humans at some points. Mm. Like, but, mean, so everybody on Mars is human and they're all, given colors but the only color that is rejected and and specifically the only color of, of human on mars that doesn't actually look like john carter all the rest of them look in some ways similar to john carter is the is the green men of Barsoom. like they're all like tusks and you know they have double yeah. sets of arms like what, what what's the choice there that the green men are very different than everyone else Orcs are like a human, like <laughs> subconscious stereotype. We everyone was born with the idea right. of what an orc was supposed to look like. Apparently, so well, same with burrows. I, I mean, they're not they're not orcs because orcs are coded as like black, right? Like, which is another problem for Dungeons and Dragons and such, right? Um, I mean, these are the the green men are noble savages. They're Native Americans, and what the black pirates want is like cultured and technologically advanced servants, right? People who can help make their guns and make their ammunition, because again, they will not do so. People who can serve in, in like a priestly caste. Um, which they don't think the Green Martians can do. To me, it almost sounds like kind of like one of those military uh, juntas, like you know, that take over a country, like you know, like a like a general warlord takes over the country. It's like, ah, eh, I don't want to like you know make up guns or anything like that. I'll just kidnap my kidnap my soldiers, kidnap my slaves, you know, and uh, take take everything from the from the country that rightfully belongs to me. Um, it strikes me a little bit more of of kind of like a. Uh, uh, African warlord kind of kind of situation. I think like Joseph Coney or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that 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 does get us into the racism issue here, right? I mean, yes. yeah. <laughs> Since we're talking about the whole race kind of thing, it's kind of crazy. Yes, it is weird that because it's like in the first book, the it, it seems weird that he brings up like the green race and like the red race being this kind of amalgam race in the end. But it's like, OK, but, you know, that's kind of like a neat idea for a like kind of far end civilization or something like that. That's colonized the whole planet. This is this is just working stuff out. This is weird. Again, again, the red men feel very European, right? Because they're part of this like ornate yep. culture that's like falling apart, right? So it's their their ancientness, which is both what makes them attractive, but also what makes them um, in need of the American who's going to come in and re rejuvenate the society, um, which is of course what he does, right? Like that that virility that again to be to be very clear that southern virility that he brings, <laughs> right, is, is what will come in and like and like fix the problem station, like because like whatever you will say about southern, they can fight really well, right, and. Um, that's what this world requires. There's like men of action um, because everything here is like trying to be shored up against like environmental destruction and the decay over time. Um, yeah, and, and in the first book, that's a bit clearly more coded, like you know, like an anthropological concern. Here, I just have I have no freaking clue what to make of yeah. what what's going on racially like this, in, this, in that book. When you were bringing up like kind of the mechanics of how this all happened, I feel like this is very much just like say like Temple of Doom, where it's just like. We just Another need a place for him to go have an adventure. <laughs> hmm? Like, yeah. 
So let's just make everything screwed up. Everyone is cannibals. He's the one who's going to fix it. Like, he's the one who's going to break through their perceptions of stuff. And, like, I, I feel like it's more all these weird details and stuff like that are more to, like, set up the conflict that eventually he's going to get in a giant airship battle for rather than it being, like, a thing of actual interest of commentary of any sort. Was Superman Clark Kent also a Southerner? Like, I think he was born in, like, Kansas. Does Kansas count as, like, Kansas Kansas has a deep South. (laughs) Disputed territory. He's questionably Southern. All the Superman. I mean, he's 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 Midwestern, right? He is uh, he is coded yeah. as like rural, you know, like at a moment when America is transitioning to a more urban an urban setting, right? So he has a claim to like a more originary sense of Americanness um, than than like say Lois Lane does, for example. Okay, I'm just wondering if all Southerners or all uh, all Supermen are essentially are of Southern descent. Apparently, you just you just come from another planet, and you're Superman. That's just, that's a general rule. That's Superman came from Krypton, and uh, John Carter came from Earth. That might be an interesting, interesting podcast. Uh, Southern heroes through through I, literature. I, I, I would not participate in that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Five became four, and then four became three. All right. Um, I mean, I mean, like the 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 converse of that, right? Again, which which is so weird to think about in terms of the the historical moment here is like H. G. Wells and the War of the Worlds, right? Where being for the world is actually a liability because the 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 fucking plants kill you, right? <laughs> uh, in, in that book, um, which is another trope that that like is is running slightly parallel to the Superman notion. Yes. Well, I I mean, I'd argue that you, you know we brought up H. G. Wells a couple of times now, right? Where it's like clearly he's writing allegories for deeper themes, whereas this is more just like pulp. Like, what if you got sent to Mars and you were super strong? I figure it's just even though it's like even though it's quote the same genre, it's like it's towards totally different aims. It's kind of like how James, uh, not James, Jules Verne is more like futurism versus H.G. Wells, which is more interested in these kind of using it as a setting for these sociological dramas. So I wouldn't say that these are the same genres, actually. I think that um, Burroughs' books, for the most part, sort of really fit themselves into boys' literature, uh, which was like an entirely different class of stories, although they kind of become combined uh, up to this point, which is all about like, you know, ideological transmission of what it means to be like a man, right? Like that's not absolutely the case in say like the time machine where the main character kind of like wanders around all the time. It's why they like really punch up the action for that 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 movie um, from like was it two thousand and eight or whatever it was. That's the Guy um, Pierce one. Yes, where, where they like he just like beats up that that, that Morlock for no reason at the end of the movie. Where he's like, you can go home. He's like, no, nah, I'm gonna fist fight you for twenty minutes at the end for no reason. Um, <laughs> um, so like the 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 whole notion of of these boys literature books, right? Is like it's a reaction to this moment at the end of the twentieth, at the end of the nineteenth century, moving into the twentieth where there is this like great fear that like specifically the British are becoming like a weaker stock because of civilization. And so these texts from the Victorian era forward are always about kind of like on the one hand becoming more in touch with your like your primal masculinity. On the other hand, like this projection of like the chivalrous warrior, right? Which is of course everything that's happening in the first book and how like everybody here is like totally cool with like enslaving yourself to uh, like a morally upright man, essentially. Yeah. I mean, isn't that also very, like, Teddy Roosevelt, turn-of-the-century, like, American man-type stuff, too? Like, this is going on? All right. 
Right. This is this is why the women can't help but follow John Carver. He's like a you know he's an upright man, and that oh happens to upright men. And you know this is how we get the incel stuff and the over a moment. Yeah. Anyways. Yes. Any other comments? All right. Let's move on to our game then of guess the ending. So I had you guys read to the final chapter. So I figured like. You know, you'll you will find out what happens at the very, very end. But let's see who who how do you think this ends? Uh, Vincent, what what is your plan for the end of this book? He just breaks into the palace, his soldiers are going through underground, and he meets up with Deja Thoris. What happens next? Osiris appears and fights Isis for supremacy of the Egyptian pantheon. John Carter dies. Deja Thoris weeps over his grave. No, I'm just kidding. That's like the, the exact opposite of what happens. John Carter's got to kill all the bad guys. He's got to be the hero. So John Carter gets his wife. Carthoris probably shows up. All his all his best buddies probably show up somehow, magically teleported through some uh, magical teleport. Taurus Tarkas shows up. Carthoris shows up. Um, everyone, uh, through the power of friendship, uh, ends up killing uh, Isis. And uh, John Carter is now... Uh, the, the new god of Mars, uh, all the uh, races bow in uh, allegiance to John Carter, who has uh, unified all of Mars. That's the simple ending. Yes, that's pretty much what I predicted as well. John, how about you? Similar. Yeah, I mean, I don't, well, I guess, it, 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 although it's, he has to hold himself back, I think. I don't know. I think to, to, to keep up the, the, the theme of, of, a, of a model man, you know, at the moment when he could, like, kill isis and rage he's, you know there's no longer a need for rage because deja's alive so obviously now he'll have to reunite perhaps i don't know either that or tar sarkis comes in and, and murders her in like one sentence <laughs> one sentence it's not even an action it's just a sentence tar sarkis is like the one character who has had no contact with any of this i mean <laughs> Adrian, Tar Starkus always shows up at the right time that whenever you think tar sarkis is not going to show up boom yeah. there's tar sarkis I like John Carter just appears on Mars within feet of Tars Tarkas mm -hmm. at the start of the book. Adrian, what happens? I, I, just, I just want to point out a few things here, first of all. Like, I think it's it's weird the way that um, humans are currency in this text, right? Like, I think that, that feels important to bring up. And also, the like, um, it's a bit of a turn on how, like, death-oriented this whole planet is. Right? Like, a turn or a thern? Oh. Just kidding. <laughs> oh my. And I'm done for the night. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, just like that, that sense of like, I mean, the, uh, so much of why this planet seems to function is that they have this very strong belief in an afterlife. Like, so one question I don't trust the book to deal with is like, what, what, how do you, how do you live in that space when, when like all of a sudden your sense of like what an actual afterlife is disappears like overnight? You know, as opposed to like a slow version of secularization. Um, what's going to happen? I mean, for for sure, John Carr is going to to kill the the goddess of the afterlife, and he mentions like again the weird race thing, colonizing the South Pole with for the with the Red Martians, which sure <laughs> uh, colonize the South. Yeah, it's like it's it's only monsters and savages here. He says so, which again, great great look for a southerner to to go and 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 do here at this moment. Uh, sorry, sorry, it'd be like a confederate, right? Like because that is exactly who he is. Um, that yeah, I mean he'll kill her. I mean he the, the beginning of the book mentions right that like the natural lifespan of a marsh is a thousand years, so it's pretty clear that 
Um, all the major characters must survive and get to live their thousand years of life. Um, somewhere in there, he must discover the secret of like being able to transport himself at will. Um, I'm sure there is some kind of last minute disaster with like the water level rising uh, because they they do mention that the, the black pirates do control the waters of Mars essentially. Um, and so I wonder if that's like a last move by the, by the by the the goddess to like mess with the red Martians and hold them hostage. But again, it's all it all mm. has to be resolved because John Carter shows up at the beginning of the book, right? Like, and, and is able to give the account of what happens. It's like one of the funny um, issues with both the serialization of a, of a novel, but also just like a retrospective telling, right? Which was, again, for a long time, one of the early models of what a novel would look like because we, we didn't quite have like fully robust model. Although by this point, those would have been much more cemented, that sense of like some kind of omniscient narrator. Um, the whole series harkens back to a much earlier version of the novel, which also feels kind of strange to me. Mm-hmm. And book three, I, I forgot to predict this, should definitely be a Princess of Venus. What, would he just show up there and instantly melt into a puddle of acid and be compressed by burning hot air? Anyways. Anyways. So, Tell us how it ends, Charlie. I've been dying. So what actually happens. So, you know, like, he's going to the castle. He's going to save Dejathoris because... I mean, did they bring up the whole like temple of the sun thing by this point, where it's like the yes. room, like yeah, yeah, yeah okay, because that like she's threatened that they're gonna toss Dejathoris into this thing that only one uh, there's only one room open each day, and it has rooms for all of the year, so you have to wait till the next year for your room to come back up. And it's clear that Isis uses this as a torture chamber, so what she'll do is like throw someone in there with only like half a year's worth of food so they go slowly insane and then starve to death or something like that so it's like you know that's the threat on Dejah Thoris so he shows up and he feels all happy Dejah Thoris is there and they have this like touching reunion and stuff like that but then he fe- he hears fighting in the hallways and he goes like I must go and he hides her in the like little you know passageway that he came in through you know, trusting she'll be safe. And he runs off to the big fight where, they, you know, he finds his own heart, army of helium fighting with the firstborn men. And, he, you know, he joins them in fighting and they start pushing him back and there's this, like, crazy fight and he describes how awesome it is. But then, like, more airships land and the green men are raiding the Temple of Isis, so it looks like the day's clearly won. So he goes back to Deja, but she's gone! Mm. So he runs through the Temple of Isis and finds Isis's throne room and he slaughters her guards and, you know, essentially like captures her with a knife and the other firstborn are like, oh, you fool, she'll just smite you down. And he yells at them that, no, she's a fraud. Look, she can't do anything. And the, the guards are like, do it, do it. And instead she just starts clawing at him like a pathetic hag. And he's like, look at what BS you guys have been believing in. I'll let you guys deal with this. And he just tosses her to them, but she reveals that not only has she thrown Deja Thoris into this sunroom thing, she also threw in Fida and Thuvia, like all these women who are totally into them. Oh, cool. <laughs> so all of them into the room at the same time with only the enough food to last them half the year so that eventually like one of them will have to eat the other two to survive. Oh, ah, the theme of the book, eating people. So, oh, so, so he gets, so he throws Isis to the guards, who are not impressed with her being a gross old hag, and he runs off to the sunroom, which apparently, like, the room's still open. There's just bars that you can't move. 
So he has this like goodbye to his wife and some soldiers show up and they're all like tossing a bunch of extra food in there so that they'll be fine oh, through the year. It's like, it's like, you think it's great. They're tossing food in there. And Thuvia's like, I love you, but you know, now I'm at Deja. I think, you know, I get it, whatever, right? I'm and next then, to your wife, but I love you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Fidor is like, no, you're the only one for me, so you'll be there for me when it's over. And he's like, we already went over this. Like, you know, <laughs> I love my wife. We can't do this, right? And so the book ends with, like, just as the last sliver of the door is closing, he sees Fidor pull out a knife and lunge at Deja. But then Sylvia jumps in the way, so like the book ends with he hears a scream and he assumes his wife is dead and he has to be dragged kicking and screaming as apparently the firstborn have are burning down the temple of Isis behind them and they have to escape. And that's the end of the book. What an end! Oh, there's no conclusion. There's oh, there's wow. no resolution. It just leaves wow. you for the next. Book. What a cliffhanger! Wow. Yes, God. Again, he was desperate for money. He needed that serialization. Oh my gosh, that all the women are literally dying. For, for it, it's like the bachelor, the only the women have to kill each other, and the only oh last one lives. God. <laughs> so uh, when I read that, I was like, no, you guys, you read right up to the end, because it'll take way too much time for me to like explain, like, because I was going to have you guys stop before the airship battle, and all this other stuff that feels like would be the natural climax of, like, we did it. But then I got to that, and I was just like, holy crap. <laughs> I have to say that goes uh, that goes into the uh, surprise ending of the year category. I don't think we're going to have another one that uh, for for such a straightforward series. I thought that it would be straightforward in an ending, but no. Well, it's it's straightforward in terms of being again, a serial novel where you you, can, mm-hmm. you you need people to keep on being interested in that by the next. <laughs> but but not for the last chapter of a goddamn book. Like this I mean, this I'm, makes sense I'm, for I'm, chapter I'm, like fifteen, not chapter like twenty. I assume this. This was so. Isn't Foundation also like this, where it's like he wrote all these stories and then they're kind of compiled into three books? So that it's a slightly different thing. Where, as far as I know, and I could be wrong about this, they were actually like shorter stories in a larger thing, not therefore like a chapter by chapter progression. Yeah, you know, like there, there was there was always the possibility for like other stories in between the Foundation stories, for example. Whereas this right, right. Right, is like a fully mapped out like one chapter sure. sort of thing. Like, this is more like how Dickens did it back in the day? Sure, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, so that's the ending. Let's get to our favorite thing, the favorite thing part of the podcast. Uh, since we're just chatting, Adrian, why don't you go first? Man. <laughs> <laughs> One of the good things. Damn. Favorite thing. Favorite thing. Favorite Man, thing. Adrian was the last person to go. It's like, oh, all the good things were taken already. I could understand. So he's the first one. It's like a lowest lying fruit. There are no fruit. <laughs> It's so a barren I, tree. I, I was talking earlier about like how how disconcerting it is to not have a fully formed opinion of this text, in part because it is such an, I mean, it's an artifact, obviously, of sci-fi history in a way that Foundation was. But I think Foundation is a far more like fully formed text, for example, right? Um, and there's a lot of interesting things going on. Like this is such a text which is designed for a certain purpose and fulfills its purpose so like directly that it's kind of hard to look past that, right? In terms of not just being this like straightforward adventure thing is meant to titillate you and kind of keep you buying the additions, um, but also to pass along certain ideologies, you know? And um, those ideologies are like painfully obvious throughout, if obviously except for perhaps like whatever's going on with race in this book, which is a bit of a mystery to me. 
Um, I, I really like the beginning, I think, of the book. Um, I think starting off with this very different tone of like John Carter encountering like actual monstrosity and alienness as opposed to right all of these analogs of, of human races and human cultures that he does in the first book. That's a really cool start. And I'm kind of sad that the book didn't really continue on that trend. Um, in many ways, like I'm kind of surprised that the book didn't really kind of follow up on many of its major kind of ideas or what it's known for. Like, for example, the religion idea is barely touched on. Um, it's a fairly underdeveloped thing. It's the same thing again with, with like the plant men, for example, which is a really cool thought. Um, so yeah, I, I really like that. Uh, what I did not like, I, I, it's not I, my, my impulse to the race thing, which is actually not true, um, because I think that there's obviously the, the the possibility of using the book as a kind of interesting cultural artifact of the time to be thinking through. I just I just feel like so much of the book is really underdeveloped and so like in general like i'm not happy with just like the way that the book is written um because again like it's so much like a monthly thing um that it kind of doesn't allow for um some greater cohesion you know and, and that's unfortunate because there are some really interesting ideas that this raises and there's all this potential for the book to really be a marker of its time um and i don't think it is like i, I think there's a reason why um we'll talk about foundation right for for all this time but not really about john carter as much anymore Hmm. All right. John, how about you? What are your thoughts? Oh, uh, Adrian stole so much of my thunder here. Um, <laughs> this is why you're only going first, I told you. <laughs> there's, a, there's an advantage. There's an advantage. I, so I think that this, so I really liked the, I liked the first book, but the novelty of, from this book has, has the, the first book had a novelty in that it, it placed itself at a, at a time before before we we understood a lot about the solar system, it, it dated itself because there was the possibility of of what was on Mars, um, because our ability to understand, our ability to see the surface, our ability to see in high focus, just the just our our ability to to understand what was going on in that part of the solar system beyond Earth was pretty unknown. So there was like an open canvas there, and I thought that was a pretty interesting idea that was that was followed by by the author but in this book it's really lost its its sheen i think because there isn't a lot new here for the tech enthusiasts it's not a lot of extra sci-fi so my favorite part of the book was also the beginning of the book which was the the, the, the plant people are pretty in, innovative and, and 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 frankly just alien in the book uh and they're different everybody else is is isn't is, is what did you say? An analog? It's really good. I, I want to use that word because it's so good. They're 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 a derivative of somebody. They're they're meant to be someone, and it's it's like very obvious as a parallel to like, oh, well, this is supposed to be white people, or this is supposed to be mm. Europeans, or something. And it's just the the idea of something so different was a refreshing part of the book. Um, what didn't I like about the book, or, or what do I want to mention that I didn't like about the book? There's no consistency, so so he mm. he doesn't he focuses he focuses on some stuff um, well, but he it, it's not the same as he calls up a character whenever he wants it. Like I need you know so and so, so I'm gonna have you know we're gonna run into Thuvia or whatnot. But like for instance, Tars Tarkas is both like <laughs> at any moment. I know I'm very stuck on Tar Starkus, but I like him as a character. Sure. Like at any given moment, he is like taken by by other green men and possibly killed or imprisoned. 
And suddenly it's like, hey, you know what we really need is a big army. Tars, what do you got? Oh, okay. I can go ahead and uh, I can unite all of the tribes and bring a million men to, to battle with you right now. We're going to fight for the red men right now. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand. It doesn't seem believable to me. To, to be fair, it's 500,000, not a million. <laughs> <laughs> he can only get 500,000. Way easier. Way easier. Come on, John. <laughs> I can get 500,000 tomorrow. <laughs> Tars is the guy he looks to. He's like, I need something. And Tars is like, sure, whatever you need. I got it. I got it. What <laughs> five half a million men tomorrow? Yes, <laughs> got it. Excellent. And uh, Vince, how about you? Uh, so this is interesting, actually. So when I read the first book, uh, Princess of Mars, I didn't really particularly like it that much because I thought it was just so convenient. And I gave it a lot of credit for being an old book, you know, from the turn of the century, literally from the 1900s, like the first decade of the 1900s. Having anything sci-fi to me from back then just struck me as like, hey, pretty good job. You know, you, you tried hard. Not even my grandpa was like, you know, a writer back then. It'd be like my grandpa's grandpa. Like you're talking about like generations ago. Um, what was interesting was that like this book is solidly like what I would call one of those B movies, you know, like, you know, uh, mystery science theater, like, you know, uh, kind of mo movies that you would review. I went into it with low expectations and those low expectations were met. So I think from a pro side of things, like in many ways, I wasn't looking for a high science fiction, like, you know, uh, writing style. I wasn't looking for a really complicated plot. I just want to see what happens to John Carter. I mean, I saw, I, I, I heard what happened in the first book. Let's see what happens in the second book. I just, it's just more like a familiar character. I just want to see what the end of the story was. Um, and so the pro was that, yeah, it kind of delivered. It's like, you know, I expected James Bond. I got James Bond. You know, he, he beats up a bunch of guys who are clearly somehow weaker than him. Uh, somehow he is like blessed with super strength, just like Superman. And I was just kind of reading along and I never assumed that he would ever die or anything bad would happen to him. I guess it, it was kind of like reading a, like a Superman comic book, I guess. So that was the pro. So it was just fun. Easy time killed. And the book was free. And that's another thing I'll point out to our listeners is that the book is so old that it's free on the Gutenberg product. So if you legal, if you look up on Google, Gods of Mars, you can legally read the book online for free. So it's not going to be a waste of your money. It's just the issue of whether or not you find it a waste of your time. So it kind of brings me into the whole concept situation, which is that like there are many books that we have read this season which are better, I would say, at, than this book in terms of sci-fi. Leviathan Wakes and many other books, which we gave really bad reviews of. If I had to put them head to head, I would say Leviathan Wakes clearly is a better sci-fi book in terms of being more interesting and more engaging. But Gods of Mars never portrayed itself as like a new york times bestseller like the way like you know ready player two did it never like portrayed itself as a netflix you know million billion dollar like generating revenue kind of book it's this kind of b series low kind of series book and as a result the writing's not i i, I would say the language is kind of good i i kind of enjoy the flowery kind of southern language for for just about every single race irregardless of whether or not they were supposed to be educated or not uh, but generally the, the book was pretty contrived. I mean, people popping out, like his buddies popping out in every like, you know, corner, whenever he comes in trouble, like ex, ex machina, like everything saving his ass. There's no way he was ever going to die. Like there was no suspense in that sense. In that, in that sense, the ending was kind of out of the blue. I, I did not see that one coming. Uh, but yeah, con wise, it's, it's, it's not high sci-fi. It's, it's not provoking enough that I would say like this changed my 
changed my view of how science fiction should be written or read or gave me new ideas for like, you know, how I view like the world or like, you know, how I should interact with my fellow humankind. Like, oh man, I should definitely avoid eating Adrian. God, well, what a terrible idea. Like, like I didn't really gain anything from the book. It, in some ways, it was definitely a waste of time in that sense, except for the pure enjoyment of, of, of seeing what happened to John Carter next. Um, the end. That's it. Wait, you right. didn't learn not to eat Adrian, or you didn't? Oh, double negatives! I'm definitely eating Adrian tomorrow, <laughs> slow cook rotisserie style. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm definitely not eating any of you guys. God, I mean, can we idea. do? A, can we do a social distance backyard party if we're doing that, Vince? Oh, who, who's who's going to be on the on the grill? I mean, like literally on the grill. <laughs> literally, there you go. <laughs> Anyways, yes, Adrian. I was going to say, I, I mean, the, this book is one of the reasons why, you know, you, you have all of the, that, like, anti-intellectualism of the, you know, the, the 30s and 40s, you know, where it's like, well, reading is bad, because the books like these are, are, on the one hand, seen as empty calories, right? On the other hand, do project a certain ideology, right? And so they're, like, doubly dangerous in that respect, where they kind of, like, distract people from, like, actually engaging in good literature, right? While on the other hand, like, just training people to think in a certain way. Yep. Adrian, are you doing the whole Don Quixote? The plot is the dangers of reading literature when it is, in fact, one of the first works to popularize that form of literature? I mean, I think that, that argument is, I mean, people have made that argument. I'm not really, I'm not a big believer in it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, I, I just think it's funny. Yeah, but. I mean, it's more complicated than it has to do with, like, you know, thinking about, like, medievalist, medieval tropes and, like, moving from yeah, yeah. one version of literature to another. If that's, if it's that, just, that's a more interesting argument. It's just funny. It's like, oh, this argument's going on for centuries. But anyways. Anyways, I guess I'll get my thoughts. I'll try to keep this fast. Uh, I'll start with my negatives. Negatives were, yeah. Like, at least the first book, part of what made it kind of delightful is this novel attempt at trying to be, like, kind of science-y with, like, the gravity is weaker. I'm so much stronger. Like, even, like, you know, the planet is dying. Here's what's happened to the culture. Like, on top of being just this kind of dumb adventure novel, like, that made it a lot more fun, even if a lot of it was just pure nonsense, especially with, like, today's knowledge of science. But uh, this one, yeah, besides the very start of it, it's, like, just the whole, oh, we're gonna have this weird, like, fake religion upon fake religion culture thing going on. Which just, I was just kind of like, yeah, okay, fine. Let's just get to like crazy airship battles and him fighting arenas or whatever. But uh, my positive was, as Adrian put it, I was thoroughly titillated the whole book through. Even if there was things like, well, my father is, and then the guard showed up. And you're just like, oh, you know, it's stupid stuff like that. And occasionally it's fun having stupid stuff like that. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know if I'd recommend it because it is just kind of dumb adventure, like dumb dated adventure fun with maybe some like questionable things that could just make it real awkward if you're not prepared for it. Yeah, definitely when I got to the whole like, here's the description of the thirds. I was like, what is happening in this book? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, All bald white people. Yeah, but. When I finished the last chapter, I was really tempted to like sit down and start reading the next book, and I was like, "Okay, you know what? You got you got the points for that." You know, he earned another seven fifty bucks in the bank. Hey, I bought like a giant fat version that has the first three Barsoom books, so I can move on to the next one as soon as I want to. But 
We're not reading the next Princess of Mars John Carter book next month. We are going to read Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein. So be prepared to read that. We should be posting at the first of every month. So we will see you then. We're going to guess the ending to that one too, right? I don't know. I don't know. We'll decide what we're doing. Say goodbye, buddy. Star Wars, come back. We miss you.